this is Robin Norgren, and I'm your host for Montessori Creativity and the Meaning of Life. You can find all the work that I do on Instagram under my links um, at Robin underscore Norgren or at UBU for Life. I'd like to start with some words from a book uh, by Kelly Ray Roberts called Taking Flight. Artistic growth is more than anything else a refining of the sense of truthfulness. Willa Cather. I read somewhere once that pain is the difference between what you are and what you want to be. Isn't that the truth? That inner turmoil we feel sometimes when we intuitively know something isn't quite right in our lives is its own sting, its own little pain. It is what motivates us to continue to change and grow and learn our way to our always evolving truth. What is so beautifully alive about this idea is that we can share, inside the meaning of our craft, the spaces between where we are and where we are going. Each creation is an expression of our truth today. Regardless of our craft or art form of choice, some of our best work can come from a, piece, a place of vulnerability, a being open to the burdens and even the joy in our lives, then releasing it all. So often, people think that to be vulnerable means that we're weak, that we're emotional, that we're inviting hurt. No, that's not it at all, really. Instead, we can approach our vulnerabilities as a way to empower our truth, the parts of ourselves that want to be expressed, then released. Are we feeling thankful? Let's show that in our work. Are we feeling overwhelmed? Let's express that too, even if it's through the process of creating rather than through the actual creation. Creativity is an expression much like talking, seeing, feeling. Just as is any other means of expression, we can tap into our vulnerabilities, embrace them, and create deeply meaningful work that will connect with the deepest part of ourselves and others. Embracing our vulnerability means a, creating a moment in time for us to get really honest with ourselves, both in our creative lives and our personal lives. Once you express this in your creations, your personal life will feel lighter. You'll feel the weight of a burden releasing itself. Why? Because you've created a healthy and meaningful release of its expression in your work. Sometimes when I'm creating a painting, something uncomfortable gets dredged up for me. I feel awkward, restless, in ways that I can't quite put my finger on. Through the process of sitting down at my table and putting paint onto paper, this is what happens. I nurture that very vulnerability that had me feeling uncomfortable in the first place. It gets released. I feel freer. I often add words to my paintings to express what it is I'm nurturing in that very moment. Phrases like, tell your story, or silent emotion, or unbroken wings discovered are all bits and pieces of my own vulnerability peeking through in my art. 
it not only makes the process of making art more meaningful to me, but also creates an invaluable connection with other women who are also struggling or working through smaller issues. It's sending the message that it's okay to speak our truth. It will be heard. How can you express your vulnerabilities? Remember that being vulnerable doesn't mean you have to share your secrets. It just means owning that you ha- what you have to own, wherever you may be in the journey of your life. This can be happiness, sadness, gratitude, confusion, or even joy. Whatever the case, it's about nurturing and expressing something that needs attention in your life. For me, sometimes this means paying more attention to all that is good in my life. Other times it means honoring a soft, broken piece of my past. Sometimes this is obvious in my artwork, and sometimes not. A large part of it comes through in the actual process of sitting down for a few hours and painting. At the end of the day, I can see what I've expressed in the finished painting, whether it's clear to anyone else or not. Expressing your vulnerabilities doesn't have to be a public artistic expression. Perhaps it's creating an art journal where you can privately and quietly reveal and work through your truths. Perhaps it's writing your own memoir just for you to read. Perhaps it's a lovely necklace that you made just for yourself that only you know the deeper meaning behind. The idea, whatever direction you take, is to embrace what's going on inside your heart, your questions, your fears, your loves, your uncontainable joy. Get it out there, in writing, in collage, in scrapbooking, in journaling. It will empower you to keep seeking, to keep growing, to keep finding meaning in your vulnerability and truth. Remember, embracing your vulnerability is simply being honest. Say what it is you really want in your life and also where you stand today. Say it. Express it. That's all you have to do to honor the truth that lies inside your heart. After that, the universe will gently take it, dreams and hopes, burdens and pains, and bring you and bring to you all you could ever need. This is from a book called The Burning Word by Judith N. Kunst. The best way I know to explain how curiosity can pull us onto holy ground is to tell a story about a difficult question put to me by my high school boyfriend in Littleton, Colorado, one year on the 4th of July. We were standing in line at a party buffet before the fireworks. I had turned 16 that March. As we spooned chunks of potato salad onto our plates, I mentioned offhandedly that my parents' anniversary was two weeks away. What year were they married, my boyfriend asked. When I told him, he said, hmm, and then, how come your birthday is only seven months after their wedding day? It was a question that had never occurred to me, and it shook me up a bit. Though they themselves 
had never made pronouncement about sex before marriage being wrong. The church tradition they'd chosen to raise me in certainly had, vigorously and frequently. Now the mild curiosity of a math-oriented teenage boy had called that teaching and my parents' own moral integrity into question. Like fingers gliding along a wall and suddenly tracing the clean outlines of a door, the prosaic question, how come, had exposed a hidden space in my life I didn't know existed. The next day, I walked through that new door with a curiosity still only slightly sharper than that of the boy who'd posed it. I took the question to my parents. In the middle of a restaurant meal, as I recall, they were gracious with their response. They shared with me awkwardly but openly a very private part of their history. And as the conversation unfolded, larger questions emerged in me. Why had they taught me that sex outside of marriage is wrong if they had done it themselves? And how could it be so wrong if... Would I even exist if they have kept God's? And suddenly I was overwhelmed by the implications. A little earthquake was roughing up my otherwise smooth inner landscape. I found myself barely standing on rather terrifying holy ground. God was suddenly bigger, much bigger, than my adolescent self had imagined him to be. And the easy church mathematical questions of sin and consequence suddenly became more complex. It is possible to equate questioning with challenge, suspicion, interrogation, demand. We tend to value answers more highly than questions as the goal worth achieving, as the finish line. Midrash, however, equates questions with intimacy. Midrash values the question and the sacred language that gives rise to it as ground for meeting with God. When my three-year-old son Aiden asks why about everything from brushing his teeth to the shape of bananas, I understand dimly that it's not explanation he wants so much as closeness. When my parents chose to walk with me through the door of my uncomfortable question, we didn't find answers, clarification, or resolution. Instead, we found intimacy. An intimacy born out of a mutual willingness to seek out the hidden places, to come closer to the burning bush, to question the received text of our separate and joined lives. Take time to think about the extent to which you welcome questions in the extent to which you fear them in your relationship with God, with the Bible, with the various communities to which you belong? What might happen in these relationships if you were to actively regard questions as opportunities for increased intimacy? From Priscilla Shearer's book, Awaken. What no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no human heart has conceived, 
God has prepared these things for those who love him. 1 Corinthians 2.9 Your view, no matter how breathtaking and beautiful, or how grim and dismal, is not the full scope of reality. Whatever is seen, all that can be measured or documented or quantified with the five physical senses or through the lens of your current emotional state, is not all that is meant to be seen. The physical cannot fully grasp the comprehensiveness of the spiritual. God's work is behind the scenes, beyond all the obvious readouts. If we limit the scope of our hopefulness to what's immediately visible, we'll get an inaccurate reading on any scenario we're seeking to evaluate. Believers must live by faith, by believing what they cannot yet see. This has always been the case. In 1 Kings 18, during the reign of wicked King Ahab and the oppression of a three-year-old drought, most Israelites scanning the western sky would think the tiny wisp of a cloud, as small as a man's hand, was nothing to get excited about. It didn't even qualify as an official cloud, really. More of a cloud fragment, a cloud baby, hoping it could grow up to actually be a cloud, a cloud someday. Yet to ears like the prophet Elijah's, which was tuned in to heaven's frequency, this hazy puff of moisture in the heavens had the sound of a roar of a heavy shower. To eyes looking for more than the average answers to average prayers, it wouldn't be long before the sky grew black with clouds and wind, and God's awesome rain-making ability would be put on full drenching display. This is God's way, preparing unfathomable things even when only the slightest hints of them can be barely detected. This is God's way, crafting supernatural downpours behind the tiniest, most innocuous cloud cover. We must live in light of this. It's what shifts us from doubt and worry to stability and faith. It's what enables us to trust that the Father is able to come through at the perfect moment, no matter how far removed the possibility seems from our current vantage point. It's what helps us pick up on the fact that his forecast is predicting something diametrically opposed to what the weather looks like right now. This was Elijah's privilege, and it is ours as well. Remember that even a little cloud of hope when God's word is behind it points toward a downpour of promise, potential, and possibility. Even his silence and seeming slowness are only the quiet buildup to a thunderous revelation of his glory. So train your prayerful eyes toward the heavens Prepare for him to act in his own wise time and for the honor of his faithful name. Things may not seem too impressive and assuring at the moment, but the pitter-patter of, cre- of his activity could change the weather conditions in your life before you know it. <laughs>